Podcast Network. Skibber scap cap boo barap and jazz, jazzity jazz, juice old jazz, jizz jang jingle jazz. <laughs> 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 This is the Extra Hot Great Podcast, episode 125 for the week of August 1st, 2016. I am 0% Cotton Club David T. Cole, and I'm here with Last 8 Bars, Sarah D. Bunting. World Accounts. And a strange Marsalis brother, Tara Ariano. <laughs> <laughs> I got to hear more of the theme than usual. Gosh, it's going to be a uh, it's it's a low population show this week. Yes, it is. We are keeping it lean and mean for our very special extended jam summertime. Is this worse than jazz vaganza? Uh, you got to listen to the guests are are not here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, negative capability. Cole uh, is absolutely correct. Um, <laughs> As you may have gathered, we'll be assessing whether many things of a TV nature are worse than jazz. First, a little site business. Uh, our Star Trek draft, I feel, was quite a bit better than jazz. <laughs> and the voting on that remains open. We will put a link in the show notes. Uh, I don't think another few days is going to make a whole lot of difference. Um, David Tiberius Cole's slate is running away with a thing and has been since the get. Yep. But you can still vote for your favorite slate. I feel like mine should be doing better than it is. Doesn't have to win. Should be beating Joe's. I love you, Joe. R.A.P. Just kidding. He's not dead. Anyway, please visit our site at previously.tv. Again, there will be a link in the show notes and you can vote for your favorite Star Trek fantasy draft team. Just a reminder, there are stakes. Besides bragging rights, the winner gets to select a $25 donation to the sciency or spacey donorschoose.org project of his or her choosing, but let's face it, his choosing. <laughs> Uh, and voting closes on Thursday, August 4th, and we will record um, a quick mini uh, on that day to crown the winner, which will be Dave, probably, unless yes. there is a rallying of support for my slate, which includes Worf, Khan, and Porthos. So it's no slouch, I'm just saying. <laughs> I, I agree. I agree. That should be a show. <laughs> Worf, Worf, Khan, and Porthos? Yeah. Yeah, that's not bad. Yeah. Is this Worf than Jazz? Oh, Sorry. <laughs> Speaking of jazz and our presumptive winner, David T. Cole, we have a new jazz extended jam grading scale for this very special episode. Could you explain it to the listeners, please? I certainly can. <laughs> <laughs> Louder. <laughs> All right. So uh, as we go through these questions posed by the users, uh, we will be rating their uh, is this worse than jazz worthiness on this scale from... Least jazzy to most jazzy. Number one, one point, Rusty Gate. Number two, the question is Zoot. Number three, Smooth Poison. Four, Atonal Omens of Pain. Five, Scat Man Down. Six, Barrel House of Horror. Seven, From the Simpsons, The Boogie Woogie Influenza. Eight, Slaughterhouse Jive. It's my favorite. Nine, Fateful Freeform Jam. And number 10, Infernal Tootling. Nice. That is our scale. We will grade each question 
on said scale. So we threw out a question uh, both in last week's podcast and on social media to all of our uh, listeners. And thank you so much in advance. And we will be saying this again throughout. But to everyone who contributed, is this worse than jazz questions? We really got a deluge. And I'm excited. This is going to be fun. All right. Shall we get into it? Yes. Yes. Is this worse than jazz? You think you're immune to it, and then you take a sip of water while the theme is playing. You realize you totally were not, and you choke. All right, so intro the first the question. All right, um, at the underscore real underscore thf via Twitter writes: Is Aaron Sorkin worse than jazz? If so. Was he ever better than Jazz? When did he jump the sacks? Extra points for that. <laughs> so awesome. Nice. Sarah, why don't you start us off? Uh, I don't think Aaron Sorkin is worse than Jazz. I think the Jackal from the West Wing, much <laughs> beloved though it may be, is worse than Jazz. That's a solid boogie-woogie influenza West Wing moment, in my opinion. <laughs> um, when, but Aaron Sorkin is verging on Jazzy, and I feel like there is like a spectrum of Aaron Sorkin jazziness. Um, as of Sports Night, maybe the question is Zoot, like a two. And then later West Wing, which I guess he wasn't responsible for, Studio 60s, like Scat Man Down. And then he brought it back down to Smooth Poison with some of his movies. But yeah, he's not worse than Jazz. The Jackal totally is. Tara, what do you think? Um, yeah, I've, I've, Moneyball is a very good movie and I enjoyed it, even though I don't care about baseball at all. So he deserves a lot of credit for making me even want to go and see that movie, honestly. Um, but yeah, and The American President is another one that I like, but it's hard to, it's sort of like how bad season two of True Detective was, like it makes you <laughs> retroactively think, was season one really bad also and we just didn't really notice <laughs> And that's what yeah. I, all, I I think about Sports Night too now because the West Wing for like it just got so bloviating and honestly like the newsroom taints everything else that he did to the point where I'm going to average it out in the high side of the middle and say he's a boogie woogie influence. Wow, Dave. Uh, I don't think he's worse than Jazz. I mean, Jazz is uniformly terrible. Um, even though you have like fusion jazz and you have, you know, hateful freeform jazz sort of stuff, <laughs> um, you know, it's all generally terrible. And Aaron Sorkin has put out good product. Uh, but you're right. The newsroom, that's like slaughterhouse jive terrible uh, in its jazziness. Um, but, you know, you can't deny early West Wing. And he's got some good movies out there. So I say Aaron Sorkin uh, averaging that around to I'm going to put him. Uh, you know, pretty much in the middle of the jazz scale at Scatman Down. I think that's fair. Dave, why don't you introduce our next question? Is this worse than jazz? All right. Jay Plucky asks, uh, characters singing How to Save a Life on Grey's Anatomy. Is this worse than jazz? You can do this one step at a time. One step at a time. Step one, you say we need to talk. He walks. Ooh. You say, sit down. That's it's my kid. The talk. Yes, it is. He smiles politely back at you. You stay politely. Removing right needle over the line wire. Catheter. Suction it up to grind. As he goes left and you stay right. Between the lines of fear and 
right, you get the idea. Tara, what do you think about that one? Deep, deep inhales I heard on the other side of the room. <laughs> oh, I'm going first? Yeah. Ooh, that's bad. That's real embarrassing, um, particularly because <laughs> I feel I felt like I could sense the self-hatred coming out of Kevin McKidd leading that thing yeah. up. I, I was cringing listening to that from the first second. I mean, so. I'm going to... I Oh, sorry. You go ahead. I'm going to say that's like... That's like a that's like a nine. That's yeah. hateful freeform jam for me, Dave. Uh, I'm gonna say when he screamed thirteen in Rome, <laughs> he had a better singing voice than here. Uh, uh, that was really bad. Um, you know, he was the worst part of the the clip we heard. He got a little bit better. Uh, I'm gonna go slaughterhouse jive number eight. Okay, Sarah. Um, I hate musicals. I hate Grace Anatomy. I love Kevin McKidd. Mm. I feel sorry for him. <laughs> It's still a hateful freeform jam. Sorry. Yeah. Is this worse than jazz? All right, Sarah, you take this one. We'll take turns. Okay, our next um, Is This Worse Than Jazzercise comes from Library Lee or Leah? Yeah, Yeah, Leah. Leah, asking everything in the NONAC combined worse than jazz. (laughs) I don't. I, I have have an answer here, and I think maybe if I just say it, you'll all agree with me. We can move on. Yep. You have to approach the question like this. Are we watching them all in sequence? Oh. Or are we taking every no-knack, putting them top of each other, and watching them in one-hour block? If it is the one-hour block, it is very jazz-like. Yes. You won't be able to tell what you're really listening to. Yes. It'll be hard to look at. So yep. in that case, I think everything in the no-knack combined is very jazz-like. Yep but still not musical in the same way jazz is. So it's not quite as bad as jazz. So I can't give it the infernal tootling, but I can give it like a slaughterhouse jive eight. Mm. Yeah. I think it's right in the middle. It's okay. like a scat man of horror because it basically <laughs> is jazz. And also then you get to listen to the atonal omen of pain. That is the no neck theme song, which I love. That's true. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to agree with Sarah. That's a good call. All right. Is this worse than jazz? Uh, this is uh, comes to us from Sarah D. Bunting. Okay. Um, yes, it's the Kids in the Hall theme song. And it goes on like that for another minute. Okay. Well, Sarah, this was your submission, so tell us about it. Um, I actually bought this entire album which is by a group called Shadowy Men on a Shadowy Planet, which is the most like turn of the 80s and 90s <laughs> band yep. name and sound for that matter. Yep. I bring this to the panel because I know you're big uh, kids fans. True. And as am I, I love this theme song, but I'm not sure if I am correct in loving it or if it is in <laughs> fact worse than jazz. What do you say? I would not put this on the scale at all. I love it. I think it's great. I, I don't think there is it's anywhere near jazz adjacent, and I have that. I bought that Phew. album too. <laughs> yeah, I don't mind the I had song. It on cassette. I, I, I when it was put in there, I was kind of surprised to put it in there. But now that you've qualified the statement, I kind of get it. The only thing I would say about this, uh, the use of the theme song, is I always found it kind of weird when they played it. You know, as if it's starting off a live show and the and the clapture 
last for like about seven seconds and mm-hmm. then it's not there for the rest of the show like everybody's like yay and then like oh my god there's another minute of this theme before we get into the actual show right. i always thought that was weird but that's not really speaking to the theme itself i think this is uh you know on the scale i'm gonna have to put this at rusty gate number one okay yeah cool thanks guys is this worse than jazz Dave. all right uh laura morris asks are closed captions that are uh, around 45 seconds behind or ahead then the action Worse than jazz, and she uh, notes this just doesn't happen on live shows. It happens on all shows, which is true. Um, yeah, that's pretty annoying. But I tell you what's more annoying than that is when you go to somebody's house and they always have closed captioning on. <laughs> yes. When no one in the home has a hearing impairment, <laughs> you should qualify that. Yeah. Um, I, I've been to a few friends' homes, and you know who you are, and I'm sorry I had to bring this up when you're listening to it, <laughs> yeah. but I just don't get it. It's so distracting. And it's never quite in sync, you're right. Some some are okay, but when it, it, it's out of sync, you can't stop but read it. Like, it's there. There's words in the screen. Your brain just like, all right, time to process those letters. Let's do it. And you're only paying, like, half attention to the show. I think if you did a, a scientific study and you took, you know, the the closed captioning group and the non-closed captioning group, and he sort of tested them on, you know, the substance of the show, kind of quizzed them on the content. I think the closed captioning would be a little bit behind. They would be like the B minus versus the A team. Yeah. I wonder, I mean, I think I I was, at first I was like, well, having it behind is worse. And then I was like, no, having it ahead is worse. Either way is really bad. Rolling, rolling spoilers. Yeah. Yeah. I would also add a problem that we have in our house that is semi-related is that for some reason, our feed of the ABC affiliate has, the sound is consistently out of sync by about, I'm going to say half a second. It's not so much that you can't watch it. But it's enough that you notice it, and it's every show all the time. But then there's sometimes when I know we're getting off on a tangent here yeah. that the uh, the delay grows over time. Yes, that's true. So like by the end of the show, that's like, so weird. It's yeah. Sound decay uh, and yeah. only on ABC. Know. And it's all it's. I mean, I know because it's a dicks a dicks a mix of uh, <laughs> uh, 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 digital and analog stuff happening but i figure you know this is one of those man on the moon how come we can't have good tv audio things it really (laughs) really really bothers right and it would be one thing if it was every channel like i when we we first started noticing it i thought maybe it was because we live in hawaii and our satellite dish for direct tv is like the size of old satellite dishes from the 80s like it's big big. so i thought it was going to be a problem that was endemic across all channels but it really just is only abc come on we got to get our blackish on guys figure this shit out anyway we are off on a tangent, Sarah. Um, I don't mind it. I watch enough uh, TV in restaurants with TVs like over the bar that I find the weird juxtapositions uh, kind of delightful. Like when there's some like tag from a Republican convention that is then on a Metamucil commercial <laughs> yeah don't hate that also one of the you know my favorite team is the Mets they have a very good broadcast booth but uh one of their announcers one Mr. Keith Hernandez has certain like ticks like subject ticks like he's always talking about when he can get a steak dinner and sometimes we accuse him of being drunk and when it's like total garbled mess on the captions then that just like feeds into our I don't know household fanfic about Keith Hernandez <laughs> This is kind of a boutique point of view, <laughs> but I'm going to say Rusty Gate don't really doesn't really bother me. 
Yeah, it's it's not something that affects my life, unfortunately, but I can understand that it would be infuriating. So I'm going to say question is Zoot, number two, since we haven't had that one yet. I got to go with question is Zoot as well, because there's two mitigating factors. One, typos are kind of amusing sometimes when you see them. And also you can do Prince of Persia kind of, you know, role playing because you're always like (laughs) swimming through time as you read the captions. Is this worse than jazz? This topic is from me, and I submit that award shows are worse than jazz. Ooh, this is a controversial one. This is the one that's going to get you the uh, nasty comments. Well, here we go. All right. Like jazz, award shows go on way too long. (laughs) Well, yeah. Like jazz, award shows' excessive duration is an accepted attribute about which jokes are made. Like jazz, award shows are populated by the gratingly self-important... But here's where it gets complicated, guys. Awards show are superior to jazz in that they are characterized by interesting and appealing formal wear. But jazz is superior to award shows in that jazz is not preceded by months of media coverage trying to make you develop a rooting interest in anyone involved. So I throw it open to the panel. Are award shows, in your opinion, worse than jazz? Oh, you take this one, Sarah, first. Um, Now they are. <laughs> here's the thing. You're right. Like, I feel like jazz has basically given up on trying to convince us, you know, which I appreciate. Like, thank you, jazz, for taking a hint. That's a good reading point. the room. Um, and jazz does not have the amusing Twitter presence that mm. awards shows frequently have. That's a good um, however, they are terrible. They are interminable. They are better dressed and more fun on Twitter. It's tough. I am going boogie woogie influenza. Whoa, seven. All uh, right, Dave. Yeah. I'm going to, boy, I think I'm going to go Barrel House of Horror because, uh, you know, African Americans get to participate in jazz. <laughs> Is this worse than jazz? <laughs> we should just end the episode. That was great. Um, this next option comes to us from Scallywag, who asks, Is reviving dead shows, which got screwed up by their writers, worse than jazz if those same writers are doing the revival? Yes, huh. that is a good one. I'm going infernal tootling for this one and case in point, X-Files. Yeah, I mean, but I'm hopeful about Twin Peaks. So I'm going to say, I'm going to put it at a, like a four, atonal omens of pain because I'm I'm not super... Yeah, but Twin Peaks Confident. doesn't fit this. Doesn't fit this. Reviving Dead Shows was got screwed up by the writers. They did. It did. You think so? Yes. Is that is it? You never oh yeah, it right. Season two. Yeah, that's right. You're right. I'm we, sorry. We bailed at a certain point. Sometimes like, I forget. This is unraveling. <laughs> Honestly, sometimes I forget Twin Peaks had a second season. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. I'm sorry. Sarah, what do you think? Um, maybe the common thread there is Duchovny. Mm. Ah. I'm not saying. I'm it's just history's saying. History's greatest However, acting robot. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Princeton's own act bot. Uh, yeah, it's pretty bad. I'm going atonal omens of pain as well. But, you know, the difference between Twin Peaks and X-Files is, you know, uh, David Lynch has a track record. Yes. Chris Carter does not. Like, no, he, had, he doesn't. He had a, a, a brief moment where he was hitting yep. and captured something in the culture. Uh, David Lynch, you know, I don't know what happened in the second season, but, you know, He's got yeah, a yeah. good scorecard over. Yeah, so. he's I mean, the rest of his his work is a mixed bag, shall we say. But at least there are like several other highs in there, whereas Chris Carter has like one that. Any, and he is kind of an acquired taste like jazz. Mm-hmm. True. Like David Lynch is not for me, but I'm glad yeah. he exists. Yep. Um, as much as I got turned off, Louie, 
uh, David Lynch on Louie was fantastic. Oh, as, yeah, as he the, was. Uh, That's great. The talk show prepper guy. Yep, yep, yep. The, that uh, was and funny. this is total tangent here, but does anyone remember a cartoon? And I can't remember if this was something in the wider culture or whether I just remember it from my college days, but there's a cartoon that tracked the hamster in a ball from Wild at, Wild at Heart. <laughs> Like it was a cartoon just about that. Really? Yeah. And it went on for like a year or two. I don't can't remember if it was just a college strip or what. Yeah. But no? Nobody else remembers that? Just no. me? It was probably from college then. But it was fucked up. It was kind of funny. <laughs> All right. Moving on. Is this worse than jazz? Is this me? Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, Mom to Sadie writes, the way groceries are bagged on TV with a giant baguette sticking out, is that worse than jazz? <laughs> you know what? I'm going to have to give this a rusty gate, number one, because I enjoyed that. But um, I always... I'm particular to the celery stalk sticking yes. out. And yes, not the me baguette. too. I'm yeah. so glad you brought that up because James Lillix, who um, I can't remember what his site, I'll look it up. Um, he he had a like an illustration study of this that was like, that's the number one thing people always put sticking out of a paper bag to indicate that they're groceries. Like otherwise we would think they were folded laundry or something. <laughs> so yeah, I'm going to say uh, number one, Rusty Gate, because I think only because I think she picked the wrong. The wrong item. <laughs> Sarah. <laughs> uh, yeah, that doesn't really bother me. I do love that it's always celery. Like, And you have to wonder who, like, when was the first time that this was debated? Yeah. Like, what are we going to have sticking out the top? Um, so, yeah, Rusty Gate. Um, this isn't the question she asked, but I always thought it was funny that, you know, the paper bag always persisted in those shots. Well, after the paper bag kind of fell out of favor, even though now, you know, it sort of comes back for the cities that aren't doing plastic. But, you know, for 30 years of television, somebody would come into the kitchen, plop down that paper bag mm-hmm. on the counter when it really should have been a whole bunch of like smaller plastic bags. And now these days it should be like, you know, your your um, string bag. Yeah. Your, yeah. Your recycled yeah, bags. I definitely see NPR reusable tote. grocery bags way more. And maybe those have baguettes sticking out of them more often because we don't like to think about celery being wet in a fabric <laughs> bag. I don't know. Yeah. All right. <clears throat> Is this worse than jazz? Uh, is this me? Yes. Fractal underscore man writes two at Fallon tonight bits. Ew. And when Jimmy plus Higgins spend five minutes riffing a 15 second joke. Uh, I just want to preface by saying this is all you, Tara. I don't know what I don't watch. I don't know what they're talking about. Uh, yeah, about. me neither. So take it away. All right. Um, I'm going to say agree on ew. Ew is stupid. Um, what is it? It's a thing where Jimmy dresses up in drag. Usually it's when he has on another guest who's like a tween person like taylor swift or demi lovato uh, or something and then they play teenage girls who think everything is gross like teenage girls do um that sounds are, hilarious exactly although sometimes he does have on uh other male stars in drag i think zach efron has done it if not him someone in the zach efron zone um <laughs> however when jimmy and higgins riff on a 15 second joke for five minutes i would like the whole show to be built out of that because i love hig bones so um i'm gonna say ew I would give um, Barrel House of Horror. You can fast forward through it. That's only a six. And then uh, not ranked for Higgins and Jimmy going nuts on some dumb joke because I love it. It's not worse than jazz. It's better than jazz. Is this worse than jazz? Uh, Ramona Arizona writes, apropos the Gilmore Girls trailer release, Mm -hmm. April Nardini is 100% worse than jazz. She says, why would they bring her back? And Tarot Bang. 
That's an important tarot bag. <laughs> and is April the worst cousin Oliver of all time? Are there any good cousin Olivers or are they all worse than Jazz? Can you remind us what a cousin Oliver is? Cousin Oliver was a character on Brady Bunch. Right. Right, Sarah? Correct. Um, and he was just a little turd and showed up to extend the he cuteness, was late, I guess. late, late, late show stunt cast. Well, well, not stunt casting, but desperation casting. Right. So yes. like you could Played say- Played by um, Robbie Rist, who okay. is now a director. Like Olivia is the, the Raven Simone character was the cousin Oliver of Cosby Show. Right. Like she was brought in when the other ones were not cute anymore. Um. You know, I think they serve a purpose. Like, it's it's a signal that maybe you can give yourself permission to stop watching the show <laughs> when they introduce a character like that. Agree. Um, so, you know, unlike jazz, it gives you fair warning <laughs> that you're about to endure a the long, end is slow nigh. death. <laughs> so, I don't know. I think it has it has utility. So, I'm going to give this one uh, smooth poison. All right, I'll uh, take over from here because I know Sarah doesn't have an opinion on April Nardini. I remember her being irritating, but whatever. Like, there, all all of the characters in that slot are kind of the same, so I don't, I can't say with authority that she's the worst cousin Oliver of all time. Particularly since I don't think I ever watched any cousin Oliver episodes of the Brady Bunch, and I feel like the man himself should probably have that title since he is the. You know, the, the Kleenex. Exactly. <laughs> I was going to say he's the jump the shark of Cousin Oliver's, but I would say in general, the Cousin Oliver phenomenon is pretty bad. So I'm going to give it like a seven of Boogie Woogie Influenza. Sarah. Um, I don't have an opinion on April Nardini, although that is some A plus Cousin Oliver naming. <laughs> Very indicative. Cousin Oliver's generally, I will go with Smooth Poison, but the original Cousin Oliver is a rusty gate because he has, you know, he has such utility as Dave mentioned. Is this worse than jazz? Scott Decker writes, previous scenes, in quotation marks, that telegraph slash spoil surprises in the episode. This happens so often. God does it ever. Excellent Excellent submission, Scott Ducker. This is so bad when they have the previous leads and there's someone who hasn't been on the show in like 17 episodes. Like, well, I guess that person's coming back. It is really irritating. I'm going to give that an eight slaughterhouse jive. Sarah. Um, I initially thought that this meant um, the habit that the challenge has of spoiling the ending by doing promos for the next episode in the current oh. episode. Oh, that's also a problem. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's a solid slaughterhouse jive. This is also extremely irritating. Like, why are they showing that? Oh, Christ. Um, so that's a barrel house of horror for me, Dave. Yeah, the concept of showing an advertisement for the show you're watching as you're watching is very jazzy, you know, because mm-hmm. it's very, you know, repetitive. You know, there's a cycle to it, you yep. know, like, oh, my God, I've heard that already. Let's get on with it. Um, so that part of it, Sarah, that you bring up, super jazzy. And this, like what Scott says it is really annoying because, well, first of all, it spoils you for that something is coming, if not the actual substance of the spoiler, at least that, you know, a certain character or plot is being regurgitated. And you know, I always come back to the wire for this kind of thing that didn't sort of insult its audience when it made a reference to something that happened in its somewhat distant past in the storyline. You know, it just assumed that you were with the show yeah. and it was stronger for it. And, uh, you know, have a little faith in your viewers and know that people will be more excited for the surprise 
reintroduction of something than they will be that you had to telegraph it because you think they're idiots. I know there's idiots out there that watch TV, but you know, we're not them. So like (laughs) (laughs) we got to figure it out. Stop doing that. I'm going to give that a, uh, Ooh boy. I'm going to give that slaughterhouse jive. Is this worse than jazz? I think it's Sarah's turn. I think, I think so, I'll take this one too because the next one is Sarah's after yeah. this. At Flick Chick Bruin writes, Worse than jazz, the theme song to The Affair by Fiona Apple. Please play it, Dave. <laughs> I was screaming into the canyon. That's really all you need to know. Okay. Oh my Cut. Echo. Oh, oh it's Jesus. Chorus, trust me. Just hang on for a little, a little my bit. Voice, it made an avalanche and buried a man. Never knew. And when he died, his widow bride met your daddy, and they made you. I have only one thing to do, and that's be the way that I am, and then sink back into the ocean. Okay, that's enough. I have only one thing. To do. There's 30 more seconds of just that over and over and fucking over uh, again. Wow. It's so bad. I'm gonna give that 10 infertile toodling because it literally is, Sarah. I- I was prepared um, song unheard just because Fiona Apple is so <laughs> self-consciously jazzy <laughs> to start at Boogie Woogie Influenza. But I agree with you. Infernal tootling all the way. If we had an 11 <laughs> sub infernal tootling, I would give it that. Dave. Yeah, it's amazing how something with so little music actually hurts your ears so much i mean it's it's you know uh, vocal like jazz i don't usually think of as like the worst jazz is like is not vocal jazz it's you know just you know uh the you know the cool cats jamming on the stage crap um but that that was terrible and i i'm trying to think of a time where people thought she was like kate bush Remember yeah. when she first came out and everybody's like, mm-hmm. oh, she sounds like Kate Bush. Like, oh, my God. We I are mean, really trolling Joe a lot in Kate, his absence, by the way, because he Kate loves Kate Bush her. is my f- favorite crazy lady singer. Like, she sure. is great. Like, her, number one, Bjork, number two. <laughs> yep. Um, and to think that there's a comparison here that people thought they were similar. I mean, Kate Bush puts out some stupid songs, but that was really hard to listen to. <laughs> I, in agreement, I think it's our first agreement. Whoa! 10 infernal tootling. Is this worse than jazz? Tens across the board, the bad kind. Sarah. Cautionary television episodes about raves and rave culture. Um, I know there are more than just the 90210 episode and the Dawson's Creek episode, but they were both horrendous. They never used the correct music. It's always uh, positioned as like a... Like, it's always a terrible breaking point or catalyst for someone's complete, like, psychological meltdown. Opposite Andy McPhee, Emily Valentine. Uh, Apparently, they're peopled by uh, miscreants named Barb who will strip your car. It's, (laughs) It's not... And, like, there's no excuse for getting the music wrong. Like, I can't imagine that the rights would cost that much to, like, just standard house music. But it's always, like, this weird grungy stuff from that you would have heard on the singles soundtrack even 10 years later uh it doesn't look i mean what i know about rave culture is not a lot but i know it looks nothing like it's supposed to look on tv if you're too afraid to like i don't even know if you're too afraid to set a bad example for today's youth by even referring to it properly don't bother give find some other way to get somebody on ecstasy or euphoria or whatever and just leave the rave part out of it 
I think they're I think they're pretty bad. I think they're worse than jazz. Uh, you know, if you go back 20 years to the, you know, after school special era of television, how <laughs> yeah. many were like, you know, I, I smoked one marijuana joint and <laughs> oh, sorry, I smoked one marijuana cigarette and now I'm on top of this roof and I can fly. <laughs> like that was like a, a staple of, uh, you know, uh, cautionary drug tales back then. And I feel like like what you're describing is just sort of like the slightly more aware version of that, which is like, all right, they're not going to jump off a building, but we don't really have to pay too much attention to the reality behind recreational drug use. Uh, let's just go with what we want to do. Um, you know, so it's horror in it's the Jupiter jump. Because... Give me a break. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't find it jazzy. Uh, I think it's more of a, I am not a crackpot kind of thing mm-hmm. uh, so i'm going to give this a tonal omens of pain well, which i think is actually apropos as yes a, uh, i agree true. yeah i'm gonna say let's leave the 90210 example out of the equation because that one is precious to me so precious <laughs> um for the exchange and egg moment alone yeah. plus one of the many instances of brandon getting a car wrecked or vandalized or otherwise fucked up which is always amusing to me because he always deserves <laughs> True. it because he sucks um but in general i would say this is of a piece with um television generally having a problem portraying cool teenagerdom accurately see also when they're like styling a kid's room on tv and they're all the posters are for bands from like two and a half years ago it's like when did you even get a poster first of all and like second that was that's just what the writers think is awesome um so i'm gonna say i i but i feel your general point so i'll give this a six barrel house of horror is this worse than jazz? All right, here's our last question, and it's kind of a multi-part one. It is our Star Trek, is this worse than jazz off? Three different submitters, uh, you know, influenced by Star Trek week, I'm going to guess. Yep. Ask this. All right, so these are our questions. Worse than jazz? Commander Riker playing jazz trombone. <laughs> worse than jazz? Wesley Crusher? Uh-huh. Worse than jazz? Neelix. So this is how I want to do it. Okay. Uh, are any of those worse than jazz? And of those, which is simply the worst. All right. Okay. So Tara, why don't you start us off? Okay. Um, I can't really speak to Neelix. That's Deep Sp- Voyager. Yeah, that's Voyager. It? Yeah. Okay. As I call it, uh, um, USS Shovel. Right. <laughs> yes. Neelix is like the the creature. He's the chef. Yeah. He's he's the guy from Benson. Okay. Yeah. 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 And he Got plays it. sort of like the 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 galley cook and you know uh-huh. miscellaneous troublemaker, uh, stupid dude who does dumb stuff. <laughs> right. Well, based on Karen's uh, supplementary information that she provided. Yeah. Do you want to read that? Sure. All right. Um, she says jazz contains dissonant harmonies and often seems to pit instruments against each other. <laughs> whereas Neelix is emotionally tone deaf and often seems to be completely unaware that people <laughs> don't want to eat his shitty recipes. Jazz pushes metal, m- musical boundaries outward to challenge listeners' expectations. Neelix pushes Kess's boundaries, I don't know, inward to limit her potential, thwart her ambitions, and separate her from her friends like Tom Paris and the Doctor. 
Jazz is a 100-year-old art form that seeks to inspire new listeners with every generation. Neelix is a creepy old man dating a five-year-old. Jazz took bits and pieces from other musical genres as it evolved. Neelix took stuff from places and put it on the ship. All right, fine. Karen, you've convinced me Neelix is worse than Jazz. (laughs) Wesley Crusher, I know he's like the most hated character on the show, but I kind of always liked him. He's cute. I still have a a thing for Will Wheaton from Stand By Me. I don't think he is worse than Jazz. And Commander Riker playing Jazz Trombone is good, if for no other reason than it it inspired last week during Star Trek week. Philip Michael excellent <laughs> musings about what <laughs> speculating about what future episodes could be built around Riker's trombone playing completely speculatively so I'm gonna rank them Wesley Crusher not ranked Commander Jazz uh, Commander Riker playing jazz trombone like one rusty gate and Neelix I will take your word for it Karen and give Neelix a uh, seven boogie woogie influenza Sarah um Riker playing jazz trombone is awesome. Rusty Gate. Um, Wesley Crusher, I feel the same way that you do. And Will Wheaton in real life, I think, has really helped a lot of people being honest about his depression and his anxiety and just being really real about what it's like to be despised in the person of Wesley (laughs) Crusher. Um, I wasn't a big TNG watcher and I always found his shittiness amusing. Like there was a drinking game that we had in college about Wesley sucking. Uh, So I enjoyed that. I'm going to give him a, the question is zoot. I had never heard of Neelix before. That shit sounds pretty bad. Scat man down, Dave. (laughs) All right. So here's my order. Um, The least jazzy is, you know, ironically uh, commander (laughs) Riker playing jazz trombone. Um, you know, it's an annoying sort of, you know, that somebody on the writer staff thinks a guy playing jazz trombone is a cool thing. And that's how we communicate that Riker is one cool dude. Well, he's going to pull out that trombone. Yeah. I'm sure it, what he, the, the actor play, plays yes, trombone. Yeah, yes. of course. So of course, wrote, Jonathan Frakes does. They of wrote it he into does. the park. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I'm going to give that a question to Zoot. Uh, my number two slot moving from uh, least to most jazzy is Wesley Crusher. Um, I'm going to give him a relatively high jazzy rating. Oh Let's go with Boogie Woogie Influenza. Ooh. Like, I get it that like he is the punching bag and it's sort of annoying when the culture kind of goes overkill on, you know, that sort of thing where um, there, there can be no dissent from hating this character. But he was a really shitty character in the show. <laughs> Like, like he, you know, is sort of the cousin Oliver of that of that program. Yeah. Um. And you know, at a certain point, the writers are like, "We got to get rid of him. Let's give him some powers and shuffle him off to like some sort of alternate universe or whatever the hell happened." So I get it. I understand why people would be resistant to still hating the character of Wesley Crusher. I had nothing to do with Will Wheaton. I feel feel like that guy got a you know a really raw deal. Uh, generally speaking, because of you know the hatred of the character, but uh, let's let's call it for what it is. That's an annoying character. Uh, okay, so the most jazzy definitely is Neelix. He is a super annoying character. But here's the mitigating factor: he is a big pile of jazz in a really shitty show. So, like the disparity <laughs> between his jazziness and the show's jazziness <laughs> is very slim. Like, he is the worst character on that show, but that show ain't great. And so I'm going to say, like, Neelix is like a jazz band playing at the bottom of a latrine. (laughs) So he is like a slaughterhouse jive 
but dis- I'm going to knock down some points because of the uh, lack of disparity, and we'll go with Scatman down. And that has been Is This Worse Than Jazz? Is This Worse Than Jazz? Thank you to everyone who contributed. Yes. Yes, that uh, non-jazzy music cue means that it's time for another segment of The Blotter Presents. I am here with The Blotter's special project liaison, Olivia Lenius. Hello, Olivia. Hello. Um, so we are talking today about the City Confidential episode from 2001. It's season five, episode 10. It's called Kansas City, The Final Curtain. Um... And why are we talking about this? Uh, because it is literally the only TV material that we could find related to both murder and jazz, which seems really unbelievable, but it's true. Olivia, can you talk a little bit about the lengthy process of trying to find a topic for today's The Blotter Presents? Hmm. Well, overall, I think it took like three hours to try and find something that was both jazzy, crime-related, but also... That was on TV. There are many, many books, but nothing on TV. We had to go into the deep archives of the internet to locate this one thing. And it's not, I think it's not even the final, or it's not even the full episode, right? It's just like this sort of, I think someone filmed it with their camcorder on A&E back in the day (laughs) when it aired. Um, So yeah, this is actually really shocking to me that with like several cities that are centers of jazz, as Paul Winfield's City Confidential narration informs us, that there was... That there was nothing on TV about, like, a murder committed by a jazz musician, a murder committed of a jazz musician. There was nothing really about the Cotton Club. I mean, there was, but then it was all, like, weird Hollywood blackmail shit. Anyway, this is the lone... um, this is the lone thing that, that we can talk fit about. fit all the criteria. Um, so is this uh, single piece of material worse than jazz um it's i mean it's city confidential it's okay it's what we call hotel tv yeah are you familiar with this yeah concept it's like good enough to watch when you're getting ready for the wedding but if you're at home you wouldn't necessarily like (laughs) keep it on um the um the the one crime scene photo that we see was like pretty bracing i thought it looked like a civil war casualty um the bad guys really a bad guy like really racist really racist white really a homophobe um he got acquitted by the all-white jury the first time this guy ray bledsoe and then i think like it was on the brink of riots in kansas city yeah and there were petitions and no one would do anything about it and then the federal government got involved and the fbi came and then they found all the evidence that it was said, one of Steve Harvey's friends said that if they had paid attention, this could have been over two years before when the crime actually happened. Right, because I think they were able to charge it as a hate crime, which made it yeah. a federal thing. Um, by the way, this is the murder of Steve Harvey by uh, Roy Ray Bledsoe. Old, old racist Bledsoe, um, obviously not the same Steve Harvey. Yes. Yeah. Um, 
so yeah, this was a this was a pretty I think groundbreaking case. I think now it's totally normal for yeah. crimes like this to be like if they don't get him at the state level, they'll come back at him with the hate crime statute. Um so yeah, it's actually it's actually a pretty good story. The telling of it is not so hot. Like there's yeah. it felt like they AMC Network's Sundance Now is a premium streaming video service offering a rich selection of prestige dramas, heart-stopping thrillers, and gripping true crime series from around the world. Sundance Now believes that life is more enriching when experienced through perspectives that differ from our own. Why is Sundance Now so awesome? Sundance Now's catalog includes award-winning original content, international exclusives, and hard-to-find properties at a fair price. You get premium content and no commercials for as low as $4.99 a month with an annual membership. And you can enjoy it anywhere. Sundance Now works on all your favorite devices. Download the app or watch online on Apple and Android devices, Amazon Fire TV, Google Chromecast, Roku, and more. My favorite aspect of Sundance Now is their documentary library. Pop culture investigations like The Cult of J.T. Leroy, The Pussy Riot Doc, and that must-see for Project Runway fans, Bill Cunningham, New York. But the catalog is impressively deep on the true crime front, too. There are lots of films I've covered for my true crime newsletter, but just as many I haven't had a chance to watch yet, and I had to force myself not to start Valentine Road instead of recording this ad, so... Let's get to that promo code so that I can get back to the film, and you can join me free for 30 days. Start streaming your next obsession. To try Sundance Now free for 30 days, go to SundanceNow.com and use promo code EHG. That's S-U-N-D-A-N-C-E-N-O-W.com and use promo code EHG for 30 days of free streaming. Thanks, Sundance Now! Spent like a third of the time talking about what a great musician he Yeah, is. how great of a person he was and the light of everyone's life. And then there's some bad, true crimey writing like, um, here's my least favorite line. Calls for a retrial cried out in the night like a lonely saxophone. Oh my. Like, it is, <laughs> oh, is, is that how they cried out? Just like that. Really? J- just like that? Not like a sort of mournful saxophone, but a lonely one. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so even Paul Winfield's narration can't quite, um, haul that one (laughs) up above the, yeah, can't really, can't really save that one, but it's, I mean, it's a pretty standard City Confidential Mm. episode, but despite the fact that it does contain a lot of jazz, um, it is still shorter than a lot of jazz songs, Mm -hmm. even though it's like half an hour, and I don't... I don't think it's worse than jazz, but uh, on our rating scale, Olivia, 1 to 10, 10 being atonal tootling that goes on for two hours, Hmm. 1 being like, (laughs) I don't know, the jazz piano from The Sting, what number would you give this? Probably a three. Probably a th- Okay, so Olivia is bringing this episode of City Confidential in at a three, which is smooth poison. Um, <laughs> I think it's... I'd have to agree. I could go four. Yeah, I could three, go four. atonal omens of pain. But I think I'm going to agree with you that it's a it's smooth poison. So Not a lot of 
hearing of the jazz in it. Yeah, I would say that it's watchable if it comes on TV, but I don't think it's ever going to. Like, yeah. I, I don't think you understand the, like, white glove archival digging we had to yeah. do even to find this. We'll <laughs> link it in the show notes, but City Confidential, Kansas City, colon, The Final Curtain, slash The Untold Story of Steve Harvey, uh, you are Smooth Poison. And this has been The Bladder Presents. Uh, I've got one for you, Sarah, that is um, on TV about jazz and people die. It's the, um, I want to say the Coven series season of uh, American Horror Story. Oh, where yeah. They take the, we considered oh, yeah. that, but it wasn't. That, uh, was it based yeah, on you know, something the, the real? Of New Orleans or whatever it was. That right. Like, you know, if you don't start dancing in a jazz club, I'm going to kill you. And then everybody goes <laughs> to jazz club, which I think it was like based on something that actually happened we considered yeah. that early on but we th- we threw it out because it was like well there will be like 10 different episodes of american justice there was nothing like we, sh- <laughs> we should have gone back for coven because it was based on that axe man case but like what yeah. like, how is there nothing like yeah. jazz get more murdery it would help <laughs> agreed It is time to go around the dial tar. Join me, won't you, in the garbage can for season three <laughs> of Married at First Sight. <laughs> Wait, season four, I think. Yes, oh, season man. Four. Um, Married at First Sight is a show we've talked about on this uh, podcast before. It is exactly what you think it is. Singles sign up to be matched by, quote, experts, unquote, who uh, with other singles that they've never, ever met before, and they commit to marry them at the altar, sight unseen. They know nothing about them other than that it's a person of whatever sex they're interested in. All of them have been straight couples so far. Um, in the first three seasons, they matched nine couples in total. Two of them are still married. All of the other ones bailed. Um, They (laughs) haven't had a successful match since season one where two of the three couples stayed together. Um, And they make a big fucking deal every time about like, these are real legal marriages. Like, how can they possibly be if they also say it's a six week experiment and we will decide at the end if we want to stay married? Like, no one wants to get legally divorced at the end of six fucking weeks. Whatever, FYI, we can just take it as on faith that these are pretend marriages for TV purposes, whatever. Um, The season started last Tuesday. uh, So the second episode, as we record, if you listen to this on the day it drops, will air tonight on FYI. Look in the the high, high, high channels of your cable guide to find it. On DirecTV, it's channel 266. That is not a joke. Um, They have thrown out... uh, Three of the four original experts from the first three seasons. Now, the only one remaining is Dr. Pepper Schwartz. Um, She is joined by two others, one of whom is a pastor, which already is, to me, sketchy because, I mean, there's no other evidence in the show that these couples are like, or the singles are self-selecting Christians, and he's a licensed marriage counselor but whatever that means i don't know what it takes to get your license um and the other one is a supposedly relationship expert whose name is rachel dialto i know i've seen this broad on other tv shows before and here is her description 
as I wrote in my post about the premiere, an alarming collection of non-credentials. It claims she is a, quote, communication and relationship expert, coach, hypnotherapist, <laughs> motivational and keynote speaker, media personality, and the author of the bestseller, Flirt Fearlessly. <laughs> Rachel developed her communications expertise through her undergraduate degree from the SI Newhouse School of Public Communications at Syracuse University and later as a practicing trial attorney after receiving her Juris Doctorate at Seton Hall University School of Law. Great. Like, I'm not arguing that she didn't go to school. I'm saying she's no kind of relationship expert. It's like when your your local corner store gets increasingly desperate and (laughs) you go from having a nice shop to like, oh, we'll sell those like local lottery tickets and we'll put the long distance card posters (laughs) up on the windows he can't see inside anymore and they're doing all these like tiny little you know efforts to bring more money in at the end of the day we're the ones with the fax machine yeah exactly Uh (laughs) now we're selling ovulation tests (laughs) anyway um this show is super sketchy as always oh the other big difference is they moved the action from new york to miami so i guess they're hoping this is going to make all the difference but I mean, it's 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 this kind of show. It's 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 like another arranged. It's like another teenage newlyweds. I cannot resist them. Um, I can't wait to see which of these couples ends up hating them each other the most. Um, and if you <laughs> missed the premiere, you can totally jump in with the weddings because uh, that's when all the interesting stuff starts happening anyway. So um, yeah, please start watching the show so I can talk about it with someone. Thank you very much. And for my plug, uh, we will link it in the show notes. But as uh, mentioned in the Worse Than Jazz segment last week on Previously.TV was Star Trek week. We had lots and lots of really fun stuff go up. A um, couple of super cuts from Laura Waters, uh, the Philip Michael story that I mentioned, a lot of uh, some characters we love, some showdowns. It was great. So we'll uh, link you to that and you can check it all out. Charity Bunting. Uh, I would like to talk about Last Chance You, which is a new documentary series from Netflix. They're on the sports tip now. Uh, this one is following uh, the football team at East Mississippi Community College. Uh, that's a junior college or JUCO. Uh, it's a sort of legendary program. They've won like three out of the last four national championships at that level. And the thing about this place is that everyone there sort of wants, is using it to get somewhere else. Like a Division One school, they're trying to get their grades up, they're recovering from an injury, quote-unquote, off-the-field issues, which usually means, I don't know, like a DUI, um, a baby mama who was not letting him concentrate on his classes like they're they're pretty vague about that stuff and that's actually a good thing because it contributes to the storyline um this is basically friday night lights but in real life and at a juco instead of a high school uh you don't have to like or even know anything about football like there is a fair amount of football it's like a friday night lights amount of football but there is a tammy taylor her name is Brittany wagner She is their academic advisor, but what she basically calls herself is their eligibility coach. Like, she'll do whatever she has to do to drag them up over that GPA line. Um, It's just, it's really well done. It's not a huge commitment. It's, they're each like 52 minutes long. It's only six episodes. There's some cheesy shots. The director, Greg Whiteley, also directed uh, Mitt, which I think was Netflix's oh. first dedicated feature, mm-hmm. and uh, New York Doll, which I did see and I thought pretty well of. Uh, this is a very watchable series, uh, good pacing. 
everyone is quite likable and when they're not they're super frustrating just like in Friday Night Lights that you're like <laughs> you're frustrating but I like you and you're not a bad person and I would recommend it for the same reasons that I wa- uh, recommended OJ Made in America actually that it's like telling us something bigger not often less depressing but you know compelling and worth discussing about race and class and the college athletic system and there is a moment at the end of the fifth episode where like I realized I hadn't breathed in like a full 45 seconds it's really tense and the slow-mo at the end it's really good I definitely recommend it if you are a non-sportsy person who was just rolling right past this in the recommended like banner (laughs) give it a give it a try if you liked Tammy you'll like Brittany and my plug is that the Order of the Shallows Chief Poobahs, uh, that's me and our esteemed colleague John Ramos, are returning to Previously.tv with a ranking of the hotness of various main characters on Animal Kingdom. <laughs> because someone's got to do it. And it's us. Uh, we don't know if Pony Boy's going to stay gold. Yes, C. Thomas Howell is participating in the Southland mini reunion happening on Animal Kingdom. But we are going to be tackling that question this week. So as this episode is dropping on Tuesday, it should be on the site this afternoon. And uh, yeah, definitely watch Animal Kingdom. John was right. It's definitely the best show you're not watching this summer. for the Honda Jazz. Oh. And it's terrible, like jazz. Hello, I'm submitting Everwood Season 1, Episode 22, Home, the Season 1 finale for the canon. Everwood ran on the WB from 2002 to 2006 and is the final act of the golden age of the WB. The show is cheesy and earnest. There's a voiceover you'll love to hate, but goddamn is it charming and lovely. This first season especially feels like a complete story, and there were a few episodes I thought about choosing for submission, but I think that this episode is a gratifying conclusion mirroring the pilot and showing the growth of the characters over this year chronicled. More than anything else, this episode shows the scope of what the writers were able to do within this season. The finale follows the three families, the Browns, the Abbots, and the Hearts, as they prepare for Colin Hart's surgery by Dr. Brown. To cope, Colin has planned a surprise adventure for himself, Bright, and Amy. Bright and Amy sneak out of their house after dinner, only to be caught by Dr. Abbott. Amy and her father share a nice moment where Dr. Brown concedes and lets them sneak away, which is really a testament to his relationship with Amy. Their father-daughter relationship is one of the things I love most about the show, and the writers really allow Dr. Abbott, who could have been a one-dimensional puppet, to be a really fully formed character. Dr. Brown, meanwhile, takes Ephraim and Delia to seek medical advice from his original surgical mentor, Donald, played perfectly by Philip Baker Hall. Donald and Ephraim strike up a conversation, and Donald tells him how he quote-unquote discovered his father and his father's brilliance. See, it's the stitching. It sort of tells you what level you're getting. And it's the same with surgeons, too. Years ago, I was working rounds. 
I saw a nurse changing a dressing on a patient who had just come out of surgery. I looked at the stitches, same knot that everyone else ties, but these were just perfect. So I looked at the chart to see who the surgeon was. It's a doctor that I knew. It's good, nothing special. But I couldn't get it out of my head all night. Those stitches were too good for that doctor. So I called him at two in the morning to inquire about it. Was there anything unusual about the operation? No, he said, it was standard, except on a lark, he let one of the students close. I asked him who. And that's how I met your father. He was that good? Good. Oh, no, no. He was remarkable. Later in the hotel, Ephraim tells his father that it's okay if his father wants to go back to being a big city surgeon. He finally understands. Dr. Brown tells Ephraim why he actually brought them all to Everwood and recounts the conversation that Dr. Brown and Julia had, the conversation we saw reenacted in the pilot first. The ability for this father and son to have this conversation is profound and shows mutual maturity and respect, both of which were severely lacking the first time we met them. Colin's big surprise is taking Bright and Amy to the baseball field where the high school seniors are to graduate, a way for him to guarantee he will share that moment with his best friend and girlfriend. Amy catches on and lashes out at him, insisting that he is going to survive to next year's graduation. I know what you're doing. Yeah, it's pretty cool, huh? No, it's not cool at all, and I'm not going to let you do it. What are you getting so mad about? Grad night? This isn't your graduation. Calling your graduation is next year. Do you understand? Next year. So I just wanted to have one day, you know? Just in case. In case nothing. I know why you wanted to have this. You could tie up all the loose ends, get it all said and done with. Well, screw that, Colin. I won't let you. You can't finish anything with me today because we're not done. You are not done. Dr. Brown and Donald have a serious conversation about the personal risks for Andy of the surgery, which directly foreshadows what is to come in season two. Donald warns that Dr. Brown is too close to the patient and that nothing good can come from him performing the surgery. But Dr. Brown insists because he's truly not the same doctor that we met in the pilot, nor the doctor Donald used to know. Later that night, back in Everwood, this new small-town Dr. Brown also accepts a note from Colin with the directive that Colin does not want to come out of the surgery a vegetable. A directive that small-town Dr. Brown foolishly promises to obey. We can practically see New York City Dr. Brown sitting on the couch with them rolling his eyes. And then, perhaps, the biggest tearjerker scene in the series, we watch Colin prepping for his surgery as he asks his mom to shave his head and Jump Little Children's Cathedrals plays in the background as his, as his mom shaves his hair. You will cry. The song will never be the same afterwards. Accept it and move on. And then we get the Ephraim and Amy scene that we've been waiting for, or at least I've been waiting for, in which Amy thanks Ephraim for taking care of her, and Ephraim tells Amy that Everwood has become his home. It is a quiet moment, but one that rings emotionally true for both. They have gone through a lot together over this year, and there needs to be an acknowledgement of that, even with Colin as the elephant in the surgical room. The episode ends with Dr. Brown entering the waiting room to an expectant crowd, and the viewers unsure about the outcome of the surgery. And that's the season one finale of Everwood. While it does end with a cliffhanger of Colin's fate, I think that there's something very filling about this episode and how it's able to bring us full circle within this year. The Browns have not only survived after Julia's death, but they have managed to create a real life for themselves, a life that was missing in New York. Well, there you go. I hope you will consider Everwood season one, episode 22, Home for the Canon. Thanks. 
Should we let Dave, the crusty old curmudgeon with a heart as black as his hair, <laughs> go first? Sure. Sure. Uh, this episode might have put me into a coma. I'm not sure. Uh, you know, I Boo! guess. I guess if you're uh, you're like you're too good for the Hallmark Channel and you want to like be able to watch the show. Wow, the same time of that's not beats. You're worse than, than uh, jazz, without the Dave. social. Authorization. Uh, Everwood might be the show for you. Uh, no, I get why people would like this show, uh, but fuck me, that was boring. Um, Ephraim, that's the son. Yeah. Uh, that actor uh, seems to think acting is just staring quite just like shifted away from the person's face. Like he's looking into the middle distance and thinking of it. he's doing the Joey kind of fart thing. It's, from the, friends. it's the Clooney, actually. <laughs> oh, okay. Stole it from um, the best. But yeah, this this um I will acknowledge that this show is not really made for the likes of me, but I can usually grade into curve, but in this case, I was just bored uh and did not enjoy it, so I will let this discussion move on. Do you have the submitter's name by the way? It's Karen <laughs> Leah. Leah? <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> Sarah, this was uh, this show was on your team in Twop Day, so why don't you go next? Oh boy! Um, well, thank you for the submission, Karen, Leah. Um, just kidding, <laughs> Leah. Uh, this brings up an interesting question. Like, I, it was a little slower than I remembered. It was a little like airier. Uh, it wasn't as dense. There wasn't as much. Um, Patch Abbott, as uh, our esteemed colleague Annabeth Chow used to call him, in the recaps, as I thought and hoped, um, there is some bad acting and a weird, like, let's relieve the tension subplot about Ephraim learning to drive and the sort of detente that's happening between father and son. But the fact is, like, I will take a photo of this and put it in the show notes. Like, damn you, Berlanti is written at the end of my notes for this episode in capital letters in purple pen. Like, it still works. My question is this. Does this, because it put Dave to sleep and I can see, like, my husband stared at it with a look of bafflement. Like, why is this? And I'm like, well, <laughs> maybe you need the whole lead up. And yeah, I mean, I think it actually has aged pretty well. I mean, everyone is a fetus. It's unbelievable yeah. how young Van Camp looks. But um, I'm wondering if you do need the whole lead up of that first season. And if I'm not mistaken, there was an episode like two episode, one or two episodes before this where a character went through with an abortion for the first yeah. time in like 40 years since Maude did it. Mm-hmm. I mean... Everwood did not fuck around. Um, but I loved this show, even when it was like Emily's bangs of sadness and all that. Like, it had its problems. But that that song, like, it just, it was like someone yanked a nose hair. And I just, like, the waterworks just like. <laughs> yeah. And I was so excited to revisit it, too. Like, I think maybe that's what makes it canon worthy for me. That mm-hmm. even though it was like maybe like a high B plus, low A minus compared to what I was expecting. I was so looking forward to revisiting this. And like now I'm more determined than ever to do a rewatch. And that mm-hmm. song is a is just a killer. And there's some yeah. great acting. And 
I'm just glad I got to watch it again. Tara, what'd you think? Yeah, I dipped in and out on Everwood. And I feel like I think it was when we were talking about Six Feet Under. We were a few months ago uh, when it was a canon submission that it's not this. That's not really a show that people sort of include in like, you know, the pantheon of golden age shows and Everwood, I feel like it's the same. It's one of the CW shows that sort of fallen away. And we I mean, it's yeah. not streaming. We had to rent it on iTunes or buy it, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's probably part of it that it hasn't had its sort of like weepy renaissance <laughs> like Gilmore yeah. Girls had when it hit Netflix and other shows have had Felicity when it was on Hulu and stuff. So I think that would be something that um, the CW should look into because I think a lot of people who totally. like those shows are probably looking for something else that's that's similar and you know missed it when it was it was only on for four years in a pre-streaming time. Um, so I think a lot of people kind of missed it. But, I, but anyway, I, I thought this was an excellent submission. I, even knowing the little that I did about the show, I could tell that it was a recapitulation of stuff that had happened in the pilot. Um, I thought this the stuff with um, Ephraim and Doc Brown was was really great that, you know, I know that they spent most of that season fighting each other i was i was gonna say hating each other but it was really only ephraim hating um doc brown um but for him to like finally get see his parent in a different context and understand what he was like as a like understand him more as a person as opposed to just as his jerk dad was it's an interesting thing to watch because that's something that has to happen with a child like in real life so i i thought it was portrayed in an interesting way also shout out to delia she didn't get lots to do but i always liked how uncute kid like she was on yes as a, as a totally TV under you know sub tween um, yeah in this episode too she's like um she's like rusty in oceans 11 like she's fucking <laughs> eating in the background in every scene that was like oh good for you like she's yeah. bored she's having some pizza She's a she's she's a very good she's a good uh, inclusion in the cast. Um, I could tell too how people would get annoyed over time by the especially by Ephraim and Amy, but I thought they were well used in this episode. And God, you really can see Chris Pratt's star power, like even in this oh not I know very big part, like you can tell that that's the breakout of this show for sure. Um, and I also really like the scene between uh, Doc Brown and Philip Baker Hall plays Donald the mentor where he's talking about Doc Brown is talking about how the kid is at the center of this community. And Donald is like, you shouldn't know that much about your patients. And then Doc Brown has to explain like, it's different now. Like this is, it's different being part of this town. I'm part of it too. You know, (laughs) it's like, there's more to it than just, he's not just a subject for me to learn from as a doctor. He's a person and I have to treat him as a person, you know? Um, and yeah, what can you say after cathedrals? Like if you can get to that scene was brutal. Like it's just, it's, it doesn't feel heavy handed to me. I've obviously Dave disagreed. Um, but I know that's like an iconic moment of the series. And so, uh, I can understand why Karen Leah submitted this. <laughs> for the <canon. laughs> Sorry. So, uh, sorry, Leah, let's vote. All right. Uh, mm. well, uh, I loved it. I'm going to say, yeah, no, uh, <laughs> I'm going to pass on this one. Uh, Sarah? Uh, I vote yes. Yes, right. me too. Tara. All right. All right. That means Everwood Season 1, Episode 23, Home. You are hereby inducted into the Extra Hot Great Canon. Americans love a winner. Yeah. 
and will not tolerate a loser. Nope. All right, everybody. It is time for winner and loser of the week. The winner, please. That's me. Uh, that's all of us. Law and Order SVU landed <laughs> a cameo from Vice President Joseph Biden. I Woo! can't wait. Do you think he's going to be a judge or something else? I think he plays himself, right? I thought he was playing himself as like in his capacity as um, the advocacy he's been doing on behalf of um, sexual assault victims, particularly ah. on campus. Okay. But I don't know. I, I would really prefer that he and Fran Lebowitz... <laughs> like that she she's the outgoing arraignment judge and he can just step in because what else does he have to do <laughs> nothing uh oh. loser of the week our friend never messing for several <laughs> reasons first <laughs> oh, she made a big fucking production out of the fact that she was as she put it on twitter seven thousand times speaking at the dnc last week which she <laughs> did technically she <laughs> spoke for, for a minute and a half to introduce a a uh, video package about a 9-11 first responder um i wrote about this in my in special way on previously.tv we are all winners every time something like this happens i'm like oh thank god thank god for you deborah messing (laughs) has she blocked you yet the deborah messing follies on previously.tv uh i have an ongoing series where any time she does anything i have an an imaginary email exchange between her and her assistants or her agent about (laughs) how she feels about it and she usually doesn't come off well but past that she also embarrassed herself in a bigger way by um blake shelton of The Voice gave an interview in which he said about Donald Trump, and I quote, whether you love him or hate him, he says what he thinks, and he has proven that you don't always have to be so afraid. A lot of people are pulling for him, no matter how much Hollywood fights it. So Deborah Messing took to Twitter and tweeted at Gwen Stefani, OMG how at Gwen Stefani, please talk to your man to not vote for the person who will strip you of your rights, which first of all, it's not Gwen Stefani's job. Second of all, stay the fuck out of it. Third, it's not an endorsement. And she Deborah Messing had to totally backpedal because Blake Shelton was like, I, I didn't say I was voting for Donald Trump. So he showed her ass two ways this week. Deborah Messing is our loser, which brings up an interesting point. Uh-huh. Do you know what yes. time it is? Is non regulation Dave gets to play game time? Yes! Yay! Nice! Sorry for that delay, if there was one, unless Dave cut it in post, which maybe he did. Uh, it's non regulation game time. I wrote this game, and it is Ooh. called This Smells Rank. This game is all about TV characters who have achieved a certain rank in their profession, such as sergeant, lieutenant, captain, and so on. I will give you the character's first and last names. You tell me his or her rank title for one point. There will be no hints, although in a couple of cases I will give you the series for the sake of disambiguation. There are three sections. Section one, police officers. Section two, army slash marines. I know they're not the same. Don't write me, but they have ranks in common. And number three, miscellaneous. (laughs) Navy slash airline slash cruise ships slash starships. There are a total of 12 questions in each section, six for each of you. I tried to avoid characters who've been known by more than one formal rank during their existence. So, for example, since Frank Drebin has been both a sergeant and a lieutenant, I didn't (laughs) include him. That said, some of the cops started out as detectives and then got promotions to higher named ranks. Do you have any questions? Uh, I am good. I just want to say this seems like a detail-oriented game time, so I'm feeling good about your chances, Sarah. <laughs> it does require that you This is attention. a game time, so I'm feeling good about your chances, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, I, I assume you guys are keeping your own scores. Dave, I'd love to pass it there it. for you. I'll okay. Let's go to the person in control choosing initiative to see who will be going first. We will start with David. We are starting with David. David. Are, are you ready? Yep. Yep. Okay. Dave, Raymond or Ray Holt? Captain. Correct. For one point. Sarah, Jim Gordon, and this is the one from Batman, not Gotham. Batman, not Gotham. Uh, detective? Commissioner. Still commissioner? <clears throat> well, he's not a commissioner yet on Batman, I believe. I mean, on Gotham, anyway. Oh, yeah, uh, true. Dave, Jim Brass. Jim Brass? Oh, that's CSI, I think. Correct. Wait, that's not the answer. I said, oh, sorry. I mean, yeah. He is from CSI, right? <laughs> that's uh, I'm going to say he's... Oh, boy, I don't know what the hell he is. He's detective, right? Captain. Hmm. Sarah. Al Giardello. Uh, Fuck. I'm not sure how they did the ranks in Balmore PD. I'm going to guess that he was a captain. Lieutenant Zizian. Ah! Dave Clancy Wiggum. Ah, uh, chief. Correct. Sarah Andy Sipowitz. Uh, detective. <laughs> no, none of these will be detective. They're all above detective rank. Ah. Uh. Okay, Dave, Horatio Kane. Horatio Kane. <laughs> oh. And he's not a detective. Mm-mm. So he is a. Uh, b- Captain? No, sorry. He's not. He's lieutenant. Oh. Sarah, Howard Bunny Colvin, and I will add, he had one rank and got demoted to another, so I will accept either of those. Mm. Uh, he was a major. He sure was. Finally. Uh, Dave, Roman Brady. <laughs> this one probably should have gone to Sarah. Roman Brady? Yeah. <laughs> or well, Joe. Yep. <laughs> let's see. He was the father of the Brady Bunch. <laughs> and he sort of was the steward of the family. So I'm going to go <laughs> with the uh, lieutenant. Damn it. Commissioner, according yeah. to the internet. Sarah. What is that, though? What? what He's show? from, oh, Days of Our Lives. Oh, Jesus. Okay. <laughs> Sarah. Claudette Weems. Hmm. Or possibly what? whims. W-Y-M-S. Uh, whims. Uh, Lieutenant. Why not? Captain. Dave. Yeah. Frank Reagan. Frank Reagan. Yep. No idea. Let's go Fuck. with. <laughs> Lieutenant. Sarah. Commissioner. Correct. Of? He's on Blue Bloods. Blue Bloods. Oh, okay. Sarah, I, oh, right, right, I right. feel good about your chances on this one. And remember, it's the person's current rank, Olivia Benson. <laughs> ah, Olivia Benson is currently a lieutenant. She surely is. All right. Uh, I don't see where the score break thing is. Oh, yes, I do. And here it is right here under my finger. Let's do a score break. All right, everybody. It is time for our first score break. The points are as follows. David T. Cole. Two points. Sarah D. Bunting, two points. Oh, my God. It could not be close. It's a point extravaganza <laughs> if extravaganza meant drought. Okay. Moving on. 
to our Section 2 Army slash Marines. David T. Cole. Yeah. Hawkeye Pierce. Oh, boy. Uh, From Matt. Uh, oh, gosh. Um, Lieutenant? Sarah, do you know this one? Captain. Correct. Sarah, Don Draper. Oh, fuck. Well, shit. Sergeant? Lieutenant. Dave, <laughs> Tywin Lannister. Tywin Lannister. <laughs> R.I.P. Oh, boy. Jeff Picky. He? he was... <laughs> uh, oh, shit. I don't know what the hell he was. Uh, he... Uh, dad. <laughs> That's not a rank. <laughs> uh, he was... Um, it oh, should boy. be. The only thing I can think of Major is like Dad, hello. The hand of the thing of the dragon balls. Well, or I wouldn't it have it in here if it wasn't a standard military. Role. All right. He was Major. General. Sarah. Yeah. <laughs> Sarah. Edmund Blackadder, and I would specify from Blackadder goes forth. Not that it will make any difference to you, probably. Uh no, it really wouldn't. Um, hmm. Let's try Lieutenant. Captain. Dave. Mm. Wilhelm Klink. Mm. <laughs> Are you um, kidding me? Um, Colonel. <laughs> oh my God, you really made a meal of Jesus that one. Jesus Christ. I had to, I, I, I had... <laughs> I had to think. Okay. Sarah. Sarah. <laughs> Judy Benjamin. <laughs> I believe Ms. Benjamin was a private. Correct. And there was a TV show, guys. Look it up. Yep. I used yes. to watch it for reasons unknown. Oh, Dave, me too. M- Moritz Stamm. Um, oh, First of boy. all, do- do you know the show? Uh, uh, Deutschland 83? That's correct for no points, but good job. Uh, <laughs> shit. I'm going to say... I'm going to say Lieutenant. Yes. And guess, Thank correct. You. Nice. Sarah John Hannibal Smith. Shit. Yeah. Was he a colonel? He surely yeah. was. David T. Cole. Yeah. John Watson. Oh. Uh, of, of Sherlock, to specify. Yeah. He's a lieutenant? As opposed to the one on Jag. He says, it's a, the internet says he was a captain. Captain. Yeah, okay. This one is another one that probably should have gone to Dave, but here we are anyway. Sarah, Leslie Hap Hapablap. <laughs> Sergeant? <laughs> no, he's a colonel. What is that? Sorry. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's going to yeah. tear you up like a Kleenex yeah, at a yeah, slot party. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, Dave. Okay. Ernest G. Bilko. Uh, Sergeant. That is correct. Sarah, and I will add a, a, a sub hint that it was mentioned in this round, John D. Mac McGillis. <laughs> uh... Fuck. I don't. I don't know his rank though. Uh, Lieutenant seems to be popular. Major. That's Major Dad. Uh, oh. All 
right. Let's do another score break. Well, the scores are close, but no longer a tie. David T. Cole has five points. Sarah D. Bunting right behind with four points. It's a close game. All right. Moving on to round three, miscellaneous. I'm going to give you both a hint. This is the last round, right? This is the last round. How many questions? Uh, There are 12 questions in this round. Got it. So you get each get six. There, I also have a tiebreaker. Got it. Um, this is a round where, and I'll just remind you, these categories are Navy, airline, cruise ship, slash starship. So if you think you have a good idea of what these people are mostly called, you're probably right. Um, so let's start with Dave. Frank J. Lapidus. Uh, Captain. Correct. What that's, is that? That's from Lost. That's okay. the Jeff Fahey guy. All I right. should have been probably saying what these shows were all along. I'm a bad uh, game time person. All right. Sarah, Spock of the original series of mm. Star Trek. Lieutenant? The internet said commander for yep. this, this phase of Commander's his career. Spot, yeah. Oh, yeah. Dave. Okay. Carol Burnett. Carol Burnett is a major. Captain Carol Burnett. I don't know who that is. He's, that's Matt Damon from 30 Rock. Oh, okay. I never would have. <laughs> okay, Sarah. Like I said, don't pay attention to character's name, detail-oriented. Surprised I have as many points as I do. Sarah. Percy Fitzwallis. Percy Fitzwallace? Yep. Oh. 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 Oh, he's a general. <laughs> he's an admiral. Oh, <laughs> he's from, um, well, I'm not that, admiring him. That's John Amos from The West Wing. Yeah, I know, uh, I know. Dave, Lee Adama. Lee Adama uh, is lieutenant. I have a captain. Really? Might have been an... Al- oh, right, because cause, uh, it's Admiral Adama, and then, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sarah, Meryl Steubing. Uh, Captain. Correct. Dave, Taranga Leela. Taranga Leela, Captain. Correct. Sarah, Worf. Lieutenant. Correct. All right, let's do our last score break before you each get your last two questions. All right, well, those last two questions will be important because the scores are currently Dave 7, Sarah 6. Okay. Woo. Dave. Yes. Da, 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 da. I turned it off. Okay, this is a blast from the past, but I'm hoping that some of this show stuck in your brain. Uh-huh, great. Marcus Chaplin. Marcus Chaplin, of course, was the character of a certain rank from that show, and he was, of course, a major. <laughs> That's Andre Brower's guy from Last Resort. Ah, fruit. He was a captain. Let's negotiate about fruit. <laughs> Sarah, Anthony. That show is so bad. I know. Oh, remember? my God. I kind of wish it was still in the air. Sarah, Anthony, Tony Nelson. Tony Nelson. Tony Nelson. Feel like I'm going to be really angry at myself. Um, Uber Storm Bonfuhrer? I don't know. <laughs> Major, that's uh, what's his face, Larry Hagman from I Dream of Jeannie. Oh yeah, oh, right. <laughs> Dave, these yeah. are this is your last two questions for each of you, or last one question. Sorry, Dave. Al Calavici. Al Calavici. Yep. Was mm-hmm. a lieutenant. 
who's a rear admiral. That's uh, <laughs> what's that's his what face said. from um, rear admiral. <laughs> Quantum Leap, the other guy that's not Scott Bakula. Oh, yeah. The, um... Yeah, what's that actor's name? Drawing a blank. Stockwell. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Dean Stockwell. Okay, Sarah, your last question. A champion returning from many game times past. Okay, Sarah, you got to get this tied again. Oh, shit. Okay, Sarah. Malcolm Mal Reynolds. Ah, oh, boo. <sighs> Space. I believe Mr. Reynolds is a captain. That's correct. So oh, we are tied. Tied, yeah, we are tied. Oh, <laughs> what are the what are the scores? By the seven way, seven to seven. Okay, I have a tiebreaker. Shout it out when you know it. Oh Here we go. All right. Caveman, captain, <laughs> Dave. Dave. <laughs> Dave. Well, that is it for another episode of Extra Hot Great. Did you listen to the topics we didn't cover? Because that's how you listen to Is This Worse Than Jazz? Because jazz is stupid. Speaking of things that will kill you, Sarah presented a jazzy blotter that we jammed around the dial with stops at Married at First Sight, Last Chance You, and a car named Jazz. Home, the season one finale, I believe, of Everwood will forever be in the canon. We crowned winners and losers of the week, and Dave was the winner of this week's non-regulation game time. Remember. We're listening. I am David T. Cole on behalf of Tara Ariano and Sarah D. Bunting. Why don't you go Dave Brubeck yourself? Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you next time right here on Extra Hot Great. <laughs> Simple, 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 simple. What just happened? Somebody cut the power. This has been a production of the Previously.tv Podcast Network.